So I took that idea and I put that into my historical setting with a daughter who really loved and admired her father. And then after he passed away unexpectedly, she finds out things about his life that um, she wishes were not true. And then she must decide, will she tell her mother? Will she tell her siblings? And, and you know, what will happen to her faith now that she's seen, you know, all of her life, she'd kind of looked up to her father and her faith was almost more in her earthly father than her heavenly father. Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the show. This is episode eight of season six, and today I'm sharing a conversation I had with Carrie Taransky. Carrie is the award-winning author of more than 20 inspirational novels and novellas, and she's a winner of the ACFW Carol Award, the International Digital Award, and the Holt Medallion. So she's a very um, decorated author, and we had her on the phone, on the phone, on the show a few years ago, talking about her novel, No Ocean Too Wide. Um, And this time, we're talking about her novel that came out a month ago on September 26th. And that novel is called The Legacy of Longdale Manor. I absolutely loved this book. It was just so beautiful. And I really found myself connecting with the characters. Um, It was lovely. So, Without further ado, here is my conversation with Carrie Taransky. Carrie, thank you for joining me on the show again today. Well, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, Allison. Yeah, your latest novel, The Legacy of Longdale Manor, released on September 26th. I'm speaking in past tense, even though I'm talking to you before its release. (laughs) When this comes out, it will be after its release. Um, But can you tell me about this book? Yeah, Legacy of Longdale Manor is a dual-time novel that's set in England's beautiful Lake District. And there are two women. Of course, it has a a dual-time plot. So there's a contemporary heroine and a historical heroine. And they're both seeking healing, faith, and forgiveness. Mm. And the contemporary story focuses on Gwen, who is a young art historian. And she travels to Longdale Manor to appraise paintings and antiques of the owner there who's trying to raise funds to save the crumbling old manor house. And then the um, historical heroine is Charlotte, and her family has suffered a tragedy and a betrayal, and they must leave London. And they travel to Longdale Manor, hoping to stay with their grandfather, who's the owner 100 years you know, in the past. And both yeah. the stories, uh, plots are tied together by an old photograph and a hand-carved shepherd's staff, and also the 100 year old journal that Charlotte kept. And that in that journal, she, you know, records everything she's going through. And that ends up helping the contemporary heroine too. Yes. Yes. It's really beautiful. I, I read this novel in the last couple of weeks and it was just lovely. I understand it's your first dual timeline story. So what inspired you to write this book? Well, there's uh, several different things that come to mind with that question, a good question. I had read some dual-time novels that I really enjoyed, and I was intrigued by the idea of trying to write that style. Mm -hmm. And I have written both contemporary and historical, and I thought, well, that won't be too hard. I can just take what I've learned by writing historical and contemporary and put them together. But actually, it was much more challenging than that because you have to find the themes and different ways for the plot to connect to make it meaningful for readers. So it was a challenge for me as a writer, but a good challenge that I enjoyed. 
Mm, Good. So what gave you the idea for these two stories, not just having two different stories, but the actual plot lines? Well, a few years ago, I did take a research trip to England, and I was traveling with a good author friend of mine named Kathy Golke, mm-hmm. and she was writing a story set in the Lake District. And so at the first part of our trip, we visited an area and some really beautiful homes that I had in mind for a story that I wrote earlier. And then we went up to the Lake District where she was going to set a story. And while I was there, we just had so much fun, and it was so beautiful. I thought, someday I have to write a story there. So... I thought, yeah. you know, I've been kind of saving that setting for the perfect plot, and it seemed to fit this idea. And then I don't know if you remember the um, very famous Christian apologist named Ravi Zacharias. Yes. But he, um, you know, he was so admired and respected around the world. But then after he mm-hmm. passed away, unfortunately, it was discovered that he was actually leading sort of a double life, and there was some really yes. poor choices that he made. And I thought to myself, how how would his daughters and his wife, his son, how will they recover yes. from this? What will they do? How will God help restore you know them in their lives? So I took that idea and I put that into my historical setting with a daughter who really loved and admired her father. And then after he passed away unexpectedly, she finds out things about his life that um, she wishes were not true. And then she must decide... Will she tell her mother? Will she tell her siblings? And, and you know, what will happen to her faith now that she's seen, you know, all of her life she'd kind of looked up to her father and her faith was almost more in her earthly father than her heavenly father. So she has to grow and, you know, process all of that and, and find a, a path toward forgiveness and um, just working through that kind of an issue. So I, I took that real life, very sad incident and put it into a story where God really does some redeeming work there and helping a family through a real difficult betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. I want to deep dive into like everything you just mentioned in that answer. And I guess we should start with the the themes of um, forgiveness and the fatherhood of God that you wove into this story. I think in the author's note, you didn't mention the name Ravi Zacharias, but no, of course I I, I've heard that story or I heard, you know, when it was unfolding, it was just devastating. And I can't imagine being his wife or, or daughters and dealing with that. And you, you really helped Charlotte, um, Charlotte's character deal with it. So, so beautifully bringing just like the depth of a different aspects, you know, how we, um, how nobody's perfect and we all sin and at the same time, of course, we should hold people to a standard. <laughs> it doesn't make it okay. Um, but how did you know how to weave that into the story? And how d- did it help kind of resolve the issue with Ravi Zacharias as well for you? I guess I kind of put Ravi's story aside and sort of just focused on... Yeah, because it is different. It's not... Yeah, it's, it's a little different. But but I I, I just... You know, I try to connect with the Lord while I'm writing and just thinking through um, what I've learned, you know, through many My husband's a pastor, so I've been blessed to hear great teaching on those themes of the fatherhood of God and forgiveness oh, yeah. and the importance of forgiveness for ourselves is even more than the person that we're kind of releasing. So, you know, I have that in my background. So I just try to 
think through how would God get that information? How would he help a person? And I try to bring it in different ways. So it's not preachy, but just help, you know, how does God work in our lives to help us through such hard and difficult things? And what, you know, what would the questions be and what would the answers be and where would she find those? Right. Sure. Um, And it's interesting that both in both storylines, the, the heroine has um, a father who's, lacking. And so in some ways that makes it difficult when you think of God as your father, but in some ways it also allows God to redeem that idea of he is the perfect, the only perfect father. Our earthly fathers are always going to fall short. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important balance because you want to treasure your relationship with your father, but, mm-hmm. you know, the reality is, like you're saying, there is no perfect father. They, you know, we all have faults. And and so, um, yeah, in the contemporary story, the heroine has never met her father. And her, they, her parents divorced before she was born. And her mother refuses to tell her anything about her father. But then the mother right. passed away. And so the daughter feels she has freedom to look for her father. And in the old wedding photo that she has, she realizes her parents were married in this area right around Longdale Manor. And when she goes there for her job, she decides, this is the time I can look for my father. Mm-hmm. So then she has to decide, does she have the courage to do that? Because she doesn't know what she'll find, but you know, she moves forward and I won't tell you what happens, but no. anyway, <laughs> she, uh, she wants to reconnect and she wants to take that risk and see if she can you know, get to know the father she's never known. Right. Yeah. In joining these two different timelines, um, you know, you mentioned before how you have written contemporary and historical, but it, it, you know, was harder than just writing two different stories. Um, But did you find yourself preferring one timeline over another? Well, I love the historical, but you know, it was fun to do the contemporary too. I, my background is art. So having a a heroine who is a, you know, an art history type of person and loves art and antiques. I I like that too. So I just tried to bring in things that I enjoy and that, that made writing the contemporary enjoyable too. But I just love the historical and being able to step back in time and to do it in England is lots of fun. So, you know, I enjoy writing both, but I guess I prefer the historical, but the history, the contemporary is fun too. Yeah. It's hard to choose. Um, you talked about how there are a few different connections between the two timelines, the house Longdale Manor and then the journal and then the shepherd staff. So can you tell us more about how this without spoilers, can you tell us about how the staff factors into the story? Yeah. When the Charlotte, the historical heroine and her family are coming to the Lake district, they want to stay at Longdale Manor where her grandfather, you know, is the owner, but her mother and the grandfather have had a separation in their relationship. And so at first they have to go stay with friends who own a sheep farm. And so there's a young man there um, that she gets to know, and he's a shepherd as well as a student on home from Oxford. So he has a shepherd staff. And then she also, um, the contemporary heroine sees a shepherd staff. It's carved, beautifully carved. And it's in the photo, the wedding photo of her parents. And then she also, you know, sees in different places. So it kind of helps her follow a path. It's one thing that helps her look for her family there in the Lake District. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting because it's kind of 
it gives the reader chills when you, you have the stuff described so intricately in 1912. And then in 2012, there it is in Gwen's hand <laughs> or one like it. I know it's not the same one. And uh, I, I just enjoyed when we were in the Lake District on our, our, our trip there. I mean, the sh- there's sheep everywhere. And the more oh. I looked around to research the area and, you know, I read the shepherd looks at Psalm 23 and I, you know, thought a lot about the sheep and the shepherd and the good shepherd and that all fit into the book too. So I wanted to use the staff as kind of a symbol of that. Oh, yeah, that's great. So on your trip to the Lake District, what did you learn? How did you, having not like started this story yet, how did you do research? Um, or did you just like soak in the place? What did you do to kind of think about where you, that you might set a story there eventually? Well, I kind of fell in love with the area and we, we toured Beatrix Potter's Hilltop Farm. So I, while I was there, I got mm. a few books about her life and her artwork yeah, and then um, you know we just did a lot of fun things while we were there. And I, when I came back, I <clears throat> kept those books. And then when I decided this was the setting, then I did more research online, uh, with just looking at different um, houses that are there. So Longdale Manor is actually um, modeled after a real manor house there that's called called Longdale Chase, which has been turned into a hotel, oh. <laughs> but. Uh, so it's an actual setting. And so I do a lot of research online. And then when I find something, you know, sometimes articles will have, you know, footnotes at the bottom that will list books. So it's then I sometimes order books and things. But mm-hmm. most of my research is just following images online and then reading articles about it and then sometimes also books. So that helps me to get it into my mind. But I just I was so happy that I was able to go there, even just to spend a week or so, so that I could have that kind of soak in the beauty of the area and yeah, and see what it's really like. Yeah, I do think it's important to be, I mean, you can't, it's not always possible, but it is nice when you can be in the actual place that a book is set. It just gives you, as an author, I think a more full understanding of the setting. So, um do you do most of that research online and, and in books and things up front uh, before you start writing? What is your writing process like? Yeah, I usually do most of the research before. That's actually where I find, you know, if I have an idea or, or a setting, sometimes I'll just go in deep and st- read a lot about that. And that will kind of help me bring the characters and what what could have happened. Because I want to be realistic to the era. I like to bring in real things that happened. So in yeah. the Lake District, there is a town called Keswick, which I set the story near. And it has a real rich Christian history in that there is this Keswick convention that's been going on for um, mm-hmm. maybe about 150 years. But I love... Wow. Um, just learning a little more about that and weaving that into the story a little bit because some of the famous missionaries that I really admire, like Amy Carmichael and Hudson Taylor, all took part in the Keswick Convention. Oh, interesting. um, There's actually Keswick Conventions that have gone on in different areas. We even have a Christian retreat center uh, here right near us that's called Keswick. So it's named after this same um, 
type of meeting where it was hundreds of Christians would come from all over England, maybe thousands, I guess it would be. And it still goes on. They still have it each summer for a few weeks. They bring in Christian speakers and Christians come and they pray and they learn about missions and they get inspired and encouraged. So it's kind of neat to think of that happening in that area. Yeah, that's really neat. Once you have like your research done, then then you start in on the story and and are you like a plotter or a pantser? What is your writing process like? I usually work on my characters after I have my setting and my general idea for where the story is going. And then it depends on um, if it's a new contract that I'm working on for a publisher, they will require a synopsis. So then you pretty much have to lay out all the general points of the story where it's yeah. going so that they can decide if they like like it or not. But in um, And then sometimes, though, you have a two or three book contract where you maybe only write a paragraph about the second or third book. Mm-hmm. They, they give you the contract with just that idea. And then it depends, you know, what your editor, how much freedom they give you. So with the legacy of Longdale Manor, it was pretty much outlined. But then I still had some fun in the middle where I I didn't, it's not so outlined that I can't enjoy a little bit of the discovery process while I'm going along. But then the second book, which I just finished, I didn't really, it was very much well, I knew the ending and I knew a little bit in the middle, but then all the rest of it was discovery as I go. So that was a little scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is, I don't, I'm not great at plotting, but it is scary if you don't know what you're doing and you have a contract. So yeah. <laughs> right. So how often are you releasing a book right now? Is it about once a year? Yes. I usually yeah. try to do one once a year. Um we, we, my husband's a pastor and we have a real busy ministry and we have a big family. So there's always lots going on. And I want to, you know, I want to honor and keep that in perspective as well as keep my writing, you know, in balance too. So I know some writers write two or three or four books a year, but that's not me. <laughs> I no, just I don't. Yeah. I don't know how they do that, but everybody's life is different. So, um, yeah. And I, I thought it was about two books ago that I talked to you on the podcast I think was for, was it No Ocean Too Wide? Is that the name? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad you got to be on again now. You mentioned that you just finished the second book. Is it another book in this series? Well, uh, it's a standalone, but it is also okay. an English uh, dual time story. It steps a little bit farther back into late Victorian era and then um, 2023. So there's a little bit more of a span, but not too much farther oh. back than but I'm going to set it in London and there is a um, the first children's charity home in England was called the Foundling Hospital in London and this was a place where women could who were um, poor or you know unmarried and couldn't care for their children they could take their babies there and the babies would be taken in so I thought oh wow that sounds heartbreaking <laughs> so, so yes. I did some research about that and I decided to have the historical story focus on uh, two sisters, one who w- ran away at 17 and had a, a child and had to give it up to the Foundling Hospital. And then the other sister who was married and, and doing well, but then um, the sister who had given up her child is ill and calls for her other sister to come and, you know, to help her and stuff and try to reclaim her child who's then eight years old. But then when she goes to the failing hospital, she's told that the the baby died as an infant. 
So she's so sad. But then as she leaves, she meets a cleaning woman who tells her that the baby didn't die. She, the, the little girl who's eight was here until just a few days ago, but then she disappeared. So it's a search for this little girl trying to find her niece. And she teams up with a journalist who is writing a series of articles for the newspaper about girls who have disappeared in Victorian London and mm. who's behind all this and what's happening to them and how do we protect women and girls and that kind of thing. So uh, that's the historical part. And the contemporary part is a young woman who is the uh, steps in as a temporary director of the Foundling Hospital Museum. And it's the actual museum in London right now. And they oh. tell the whole history about the Foundling Hospital and about children in care there and what that was like. And um, she teams up with a man who is a, a making a documentary for the Foundling Museum as a fundraising documentary. And he looks into the history and finds out this incident of these missing girls. And this is something that's been hidden. And then they have to decide, you know, can they reveal this? What really happened? So it's kind of got a mystery element. Yeah. And, um, you know, a search for some the girls who are missing, that kind of thing. So it's going to be a little bit different, a little bit more intrigue kind of than my past books. But I really kept it at a level that I think, you know, it's not uh, too scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll still like it. Because it's very much a family, you know, it's got family drama and it's got romance and it's got inspiration just like all my books do, but just a little bit different. Yeah. And the last one. No, oh, it sounds really intriguing. Now is the missing girls part of it, does that come from history as well? Or is that something you came there, up with? There were on? missing girls in London. They did not disappear from the Fowling Hospital. That part okay. I added, but there was a, a, new, a journalist who was very much a crusader trying to find out what happened to the missing girls mm. who were from a poor area in London and were being abducted and used in bad ways. And so right, that part right. is true. And so I actually, you know, use some of the newspaper article and the quotes and things. And, and the, the way I bring in the Christian, I always like to find a Christian who is, you know, as well as my main characters, a lot of times are believers also, but what were Christians doing at that time and how mm. were they helping and whatever the situation was. So I found this lady who was just a really strong advocate for women and girls. And she was like a public crusader would make all these speeches and she was very much persecuted and uh, is interesting. So I was able to include her in some of the scenes and some of her actual speeches and what kind of things that she was doing and how she was, you know, she felt because of, you know, that Jesus loved women and girls and he wanted them to be treated well and, you know, respected. Yeah. And those kind of things. So it was fun to bring her into. Her name is Josephine. Yeah, that's, Butler. <laughs> that's great. And it seems like a very, um, unfortunately, this is not an issue that has disappeared. Right. Um, so it's very relevant to today. Right. And in my contemporary part of the story, I actually have a, a teenage girl who's a volunteer at the museum that is being targeted by a human trafficker person and, and the oh, director wow. and this, this um, documentary maker actually help her get out of that situation. So I tried to bring in the contemporary issue as well as what happened back in Victorian London. And then, yeah, like you said, it's still, it's still an issue today. Right. Yeah, that's that's great. I can't wait to read that. That sounds really good. The working the working title is Love's Token, but I don't know if that they'll keep that or not. But I, right. I gave it that title because when these mothers would, you know, drop 
give their babies over to the family hospital, a lot of them would leave some kind of a little token, like a coin or a bobbin Mm. or a button or a piece of jewelry. And when you go to the family museum today, they have a display of all these tokens. And, you know, it's so interesting to see some of them, that's all they had, you know, to leave something like that. The idea was if their situation changed, that would be kept with the records and they could come back and it would help be an identifier that they would get the right baby back if they were right. able to reclaim their child. So, Well, that just reminds me of little orphan Annie who had the locket. So yeah, I yeah. can't, <laughs> I don't know if that's what jumped into my mind right away. Oh, that's fun. Uh, yeah. So this is my last question for you. It's kind of a fun question. If you could choose to live in any time in history other than right now, what time period would you choose? Oh, well, I think I would choose early 1900s. It's been so fun just to learn about that time period because it's modern enough that there's cars and and trains and some modern medicine, but but it's far enough back that it's unique in its culture and the the dress and the customs would be kind of fun. So I I think that would be a fun time to... I don't know if I'd want to stay there forever, but I'd sure love to visit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's interesting. So many people choose that around that time period. It's a popular one. Well, Carrie, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? Well, let's see. Visiting my website is a great way to connect. It's just my name, CarrieTaransky.com. And I have a free short story there for people who want to connect with me and sign up for my author email newsletter. And then Mm -hmm. I'm also active on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find me there. And I love to meet with readers. I do have a um, group on Facebook called Carrie's Reading Friends. And that's where I go first to share the new covers or new stories and invite people to be on launch team. So I encourage you, if you like my books and want to know more and be the first to hear, then come and see me on Facebook at Carrie's Reading Friends. Okay, great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Allison. I enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening and for joining us today. I encourage you to visit the show notes, if you haven't already, to find links to Carrie's website and social media and also to her books. Um, you will also find there a link to my newsletter list, which you can join if you fancy finding out what I'm up to and what I'm reading, what I'm writing, the research that I have been doing, and news about the podcast. You can find the show notes either in your podcast listening app or on my website at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. Now, I need to tell you some other ways you can help the show. So basically, before you navigate away from this episode, go to the show and subscribe, rate, write a quick review. It doesn't take long and it goes so far to help other people find the show and to just get us up there in the rankings, which is super helpful. So thank you so much for doing that, my friends. Now, as usual, you know, I always leave you with a quote at the end of the show. Today, I have two two different quotes about forgiveness, which seem appropriate. So Oscar Wilde famously said, children begin by loving their parents. After a time, they judge them. Rarely, if ever, do they forgive them. Now, this quote, you might take more to heart. It's from Louis B. Smeads, who said, 
To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. That's all, my friends. Keep reading historical fiction, and I will talk to you again next week.